Good morning, New Life. Great to be with you this morning. Um, if you happen to be new or visiting, super glad that you're here. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here at New Life. And uh, if you are new uh, this morning, you picked a really great Sunday to be here because uh, you're going to get a really clear picture, I think, or at least I hope, of uh, who we are as a church family and where we're headed together. And so for us, our pattern really is twice a year. Um, once early in the year, like now, it's kind of late January, early February. And then in the fall, we'll actually take a month and just kind of talk about who we are and uh, where we're headed as a church, what our mission is. And then we just like to invite you to uh, step into that with us and pray about what part God is um, asking you to play in the mission and the vision um, that he's given to his church here, specifically at New Life. Um, now, we, we call this Sunday Vision Sunday because we're just kind of casting vision for the future. And the thing that I love about Vision Sunday is I don't have to do a whole lot um, because it's, it's not my job as a lead pastor to come up or kind of magically create some new mission for us every single year. Now, now, the vision over time, certainly that changes, but the mission and the message never changes do you want to know why? Because Jesus actually already gave us his mission, right? So we, we have the blueprint. We have the blueprint. We have the marching orders. And so um, if you're like me, you kind of grew up uh, in church or around church most of your life. Um, much of what we're going to talk about this morning probably will be very familiar to you. But here's what I know both about myself and about the church um, and that, that is, man, when we don't remind ourselves consistently about what matters most, we just tend to drift, don't we? And it's just kind of our, our natural tendency. It's human nature. There's, there's actually a term for this in the business world, in the church world. It's called mission drift. And that is, man, if we don't keep our eyes focused on the prize, on the mission, what happens over time, even subconsciously, is we begin to drift away from our actual purpose. And the sad reality is that tons and tons of churches die every single year because they've disconnected themselves from the mission of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so just over time, they've kind of turned into, and this is unintentional, like they didn't wake up one day and say, hey, we're gonna become terrible churches. They just kind of, over time, they drifted away from the mission. They became social clubs or entertainment venues, and they've drifted away and forgotten the why behind their existence. And we're just, uh, we've just decided, man, we're not, we're not gonna do that here at New Life. There's, there's too much at stake for us to just aimlessly drift and just try to put on a, a good show on Sunday morning so that people will keep showing up. Man, we're just, we're, we're not gonna do that. And so um, my goal, our goal this morning is to provide you a really clear picture of the mission that Jesus has actually set before us and then for me to give you a vision of what that looks like contextualized for us as a church called New Life Community Church and then to invite you to take whatever role God has for you in the mission that he's given us. Now, if you've been around New Life for any amount of time at all, you already know what our mission statement is, so I'm gonna invite you to say it with me, all right? Our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. That, that's it, right? And so that, that really drives everything that we do here. 
That, that drives our, our worship gatherings like we're in right now. It informs the organizations that we choose to partner with, both locally and globally. It informs our small group strategy, our outreach and mission strategy. And our mission statement really flows from two sort of twin pillar teachings from Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, known as the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Now, the Great Commandment, that happens in Matthew chapter 22, and it's the story where this, um, this religious lawyer comes up to Jesus, and he's, he's actually, what he's doing is he's trying to trap Jesus. And so he asks him a question, and he goes, teacher, what is, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Do you remember Jesus' response? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says the greatest commandment, you can sum up all the law, all 600 plus laws in the Old Testament in this. Love God with everything that you have and then I want you to love your neighbor into my kingdom. And it's so simple and yet it's so incredibly difficult to actually live out. Uh, A few chapters later in Matthew 28, at this point in the narrative, Jesus had been crucified. Three days later, he, he walks out of that tomb just like he promised he would do. And he gathers his disciples on a mountainside in order to give them their marching orders. So he's going to give them the mission right before he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can head for Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screens for you. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, says this, and Jesus came and said to them, his his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's really important. We don't talk about that aspect of the Great Commission a lot, but that's really important because Jesus is about to ask his disciples to do something really big and really scary. And so it's very important that they understand that he actually has control of the whole universe. And so they can actually go into these big, scary situations with great confidence, knowing that everything is under the control of Christ. And so in verse verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, and he gives them this beautiful promise, right? He's just saying, man, I'm giving you this big dream. I'm giving you this kind of scary, intimidating dream, but I have all authority, and I'm gonna give you a promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus goes, man, here's, here's how you love God with all you got, and here's how you love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples, I want you to multiply, and I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them everything that I taught you, and I want you to do that not just in your neighborhoods, not just in the city that you live in, but don't stop there. This needs to go to the very ends of the earth. He's saying, this, this news, this news is so good that everybody needs to hear it. Like every man, every woman, every little boy, every little girl on this planet needs to know that there's a God who loves them. There's a God who created them, came to rescue them from their guilt and their sin and to set them free in this life and in eternity. And Jesus goes, that's your mission. That's what I want you to be about. I want you to multiply yourselves. Don't live this life just for you. Spend your life in something greater than yourself. And that is exactly what these early disciples did. 
They started in the cities that they lived in and then they expanded out in surrounding towns and eventually to the ends of the known world and they went proclaiming the good news of a resurrected Jesus, discipling new believers, planting brand new churches that could then reach the cities and communities around them. Now this is all crystallized beautifully in Acts chapter one, verse eight. This will be on the screens for you. Check this out. This is, this is what Jesus says. He says, and he's talking to his disciples here, right? He's talking to, to you and I. If you love Jesus and you've given your life to him and you're following him, he's, he's talking to you right here. So I want you to kind of personalize this as Christ speaking to you as we read this, okay? But, but you, all of you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will then be my witnesses, Where? In Jerusalem, so their, their town, their city for us, that would be Asheville. And in all Judea and Samaria, so surrounding areas, we maybe could think of this as like North America in our context, but that's not it. Then he says, also, you'll be my witnesses where? To the ends of the earth. Now, here's the really fascinating thing about the early church. The early church, if you study the book of Acts and early church history, the early church was a movement, Right? It, it, it spread. It, it couldn't be contained. Authorities, government officials tried to stamp it out. They would, they would imprison, they would beat, they would kill the apostles, church leaders, everyday Christians, and the movement just grew all the more. Like new disciples kept popping up and new, new, new churches kept getting birthed and planted. It was this movement. Now, here's two things that become very evident about a movement as you read through the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church. So I just wanna give you quickly two characteristics of a movement because this is what we wanna be here at New Life. So the first, the first mark of a movement is that the people are, have a wholehearted devotion both to the message and to the mission. Now, see, in our culture, especially if you like me, if you grew up in the deep south like I did, there's just like this weird, and there, there's still some of this here. Uh, not as much, but, but you, you run into it even in, in Asheville in 2020. But especially if you grew up in the deep south, there was this weird thing called cultural Christianity, all right? And what cult, cultural Christianity was, is just like everybody, no matter what, called themselves a Christian. Like they, everybody, if you ask them, hey, what are you, man? What's your belief system? What do you believe? Oh, man, yeah, I'm a Christian. And pretty much everybody went to church, uh, even if they didn't really love Jesus, even if they weren't committed to his message or his mission, it's just kind of what everybody did. But in the first century, there was none of that, right? Because these guys and gals were literally putting their lives on the line every single day to follow Jesus, and they endured massive persecution for their faith. Man, they were all in. There, there was none of this, hey, man, I think I'm going to call myself a Christian and Man, I think I'll, I'll probably pop into church once or twice a month if I don't have anything else better going on. No, these people in the first century, they reoriented their entire lives around the mission and the message of Jesus. So let me just ask you this morning, friend, have you oriented or reoriented your life around the mission and the message of Jesus Christ? Like, is, is, that, is that what drives your life? Is that what drives your decision-making? Is that, is that what informs how you spend your time, how you invest your money, how you use the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given you? Because if not, you are not a part of this movement. 
Now, you might be a spectator, you might be a fan of Jesus, you might like some of his teachings even, but are you a part of his movement when you have not oriented your life around his message and his mission? And so, the first characteristic of a movement is that the people have a wholehearted devotion both to the message and the mission. Now, here's the second marker, the second characteristic of a movement. Number two is they move. You guys are like, how did that guy become a pastor? They, <laughs> movements move, man. They, they are not stagnant. Now, something tragic happened somewhere along the way in Christianity. A lot of people would point back to Constantine when he made Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire. I'm not sure if that's when it happened or some other time. But somewhere along the way, the movement that we read about in the book of Acts became an institution, and so people no longer were a part of a movement. They became consumers at an event. And the danger for every generation of Christians that, is that a movement can quickly stagnate and become a religious institution where people come to consume religious goods and services instead of seeing themselves as a vital part of the mission itself. And so let me just ask you a second question. Are you a part of the movement? Are you a part of the movement? Because if you aren't moving, guess what? You're not a part of the movement. If, if you're just attending a, a worship service as a spectator, you may be a fan of Jesus, but you are not a part of this movement. Movements move. And so for, for some of you, your first step, your first move in 2020 is just to begin to get off the sidelines of your faith and get in the game of the mission of Jesus. Play your part in this story. Friend, listen, you, you were made for this. You were actually specifically and uniquely wired. You were created for this. So live your purpose, friend. And I wanna, wanna begin to talk a little bit about the nature of the church and what Jesus had to say about the church. And then we'll, we'll dive into a little vision casting and, and then we'll be done. But if you have a Bible, go really quickly to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, one of the most encouraging to me passages in all of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Listen to this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which, by the way, is one of the most important questions that any of us will ever ask or answer. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, yeah, but, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, literally the, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that we've been waiting on. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now here's, here's what I want you to see. For whatever reason, the church is Jesus' chosen vehicle to reach the world with the hope of the gospel. And so I've said this before, but it's absolutely true. Church, we, we are plan A. For, for the accomplishment of the Great Commission, we are plan A. There is no plan B. 
Now, if you're like me, it's like, whoa, 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 that's scary. That is a big risk, Jesus. You're entrusting the most important thing, the most important message in the world to a bunch of people like us? Are you crazy? What are you doing? And it's scary until you realize that Jesus has already promised us the victory. Now, here's the really cool thing about what Jesus just said in Matthew 16. For whatever reason, I don't know why, I have always thought of this verse as the church kind of being in a defensive position. So in my mind, I'd read this and I'd kind of picture me or the church or Christians and I kind of picture us like in this defensive position and like Jesus is just saying, hey, hold on, hold on until I get back. Just hold the line as, as Satan and hell pummel you down and I'm gonna rescue you in the end. But no, notice what Jesus says here. He says that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, a gate is a defensive device, isn't it? Like, Jesus doesn't say the armies of hell will not prevail against you. He doesn't say uh, the weapons of hell will not prevail against you. He says the gates of hell, a defensive device, will not prevail against you. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that his church will be advancing. His church will be taking ground. His church will be assaulting the gates of hell, and it will not prevail. He's saying, listen, my church is going to kick the gates of hell down. Saying my church is going to be a movement, advancing forward, conquering new ground, making disciples, planting churches, going on mission, bringing hope and light into dark and desperate places, and nothing, nothing is ever going to stop my church. Now, that gets me a little bit fired up. Like, I'm ready to go. Let's go plant some churches. Let's go make some disciples. Let's go on some mission trips. Let's advance the kingdom of Jesus. Now, before I do a little vision casting, I need you to understand um, this one thing about the church of Jesus. And that is this, because I think there's a a misunderstanding, there's a a myth in the American church that um, is very unhealthy. I need you to understand that the church, as Jesus designed it, was never designed to thrive on on a subset of like special, professional, uber spiritual Christians doing most or even all of the work. In fact, I would argue that the greatest sin of the American church in the last 60 or 70 years, the greatest sin of the American church in the last five or six decades is that we have professionalized the church. And it's, and it's guys who do what I do who are at fault. Because what, what we have communicated, either intentionally or unintentionally, what we've, the message that we've kind of given you guys for the last five or six decades is, listen, we are the professionals. We're the ones with Bible degrees and seminary degrees, and so you let us do the work, man. You just show up, you drop your kids off, you let us evangelize your kids, disciple your kids, you let us kind of share the gospel with your neighbors and your coworkers, and y'all show up and you fund the mission, and you let the professionals do the work of missions and evangelism and discipleship. And church, can I just tell you, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. That is anti to the teachings of Jesus and the gospel itself. Man, that, that is wicked. And the results on the whole have been disastrous. Because look, here's, as much as I might want to, here, here's the thing, I, I cannot disciple your children. I don't have access to your kids the way you do. I cannot take that role from you. I cannot disciple your kids or your grandkids. 
and I cannot share the gospel with your neighbor or your classmate or your coworker because you're the one that sees them every week, not me. And I can't go plant that church that you were supposed to plant. And I can't take that mission trip that you were supposed to go on last year. And so I say this to all of our Journey 101 classes for, for new people. We do one of those every month. And I, and I tell each of those group of people that show up that we, listen, we as a church, we will never reach Asheville. We will never reach our world the way God wants us to because we have the hottest band in town on Sunday morning. That's not gonna happen as good as our band is. We are not gonna reach Asheville or your neighborhood or your classmates or your coworkers with the good news of Jesus because I get up here and just kill it on the stage every Sunday because I certainly don't do that. Now, now listen, we, I promise you, we, we work really, really hard to do Sunday mornings with excellence. But understand this, our staff cannot do what God has uniquely called you and wired you to do. We can't do, we cannot fulfill your mission in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. We can't do it. God has called you and wired you and, and equipped you in a unique way to reach the people that he's placed around you. You say, well, Chris, man, you don't understand. I, I'm really shy, man. I'm, I'm shy. I'm, I'm introverted. I've got some social anxiety. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't even know how to share Christ with my neighbor. And man, I, I wouldn't know where to start in discipling my kids at home. I'm scared to death to take a, a short-term mission trip. Man, I, Chris, I just, I don't have what it takes, man. I'm not like you. I'm not, I'm not like the staff here. I'm not like missionaries who give it up all and move overseas to share the gospel with people. Listen, if that's where you are this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to hear me say this. Yes, you do have what it takes. You do have what it takes. And here's why you have what it takes. It's because you have the same Holy Spirit indwelling you that raised Jesus from the dead. The same one. The same exact one. You have access to the same Holy Spirit power that emboldened that group, that first century group of cowards and turned them into these ferocious leaders who just gave their lives away, making disciples and planting churches. And they flipped the world on its head. And listen, understand that early church, they were normal people, just like you. Just like, see, we tend to read into scripture and we have this picture of who they were, like they were some kind of super spiritual sect of people and we could never achieve that level of Christian. They were normal people. They were fishermen and teachers and small business owners. Listen, they were us 2,000 years ago. And by 351 AD, over half the Roman Empire professed Jesus as Lord. Man, how did the early Christians do that in essentially three generations? How did they do that? How did they take a completely pagan culture and in three generations, the majority of people profess Jesus as Lord? I'd submit to you, maybe, just maybe, it's because they actually believed the message and the mission of Jesus and they reoriented their entire lives around it. And maybe... They actually believed Jesus when he said in John 14, now, this is crazy, I wanna, wanna show this to you, this will be on the screens. Maybe they believed Jesus when he, when he said this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to us. 
Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, listen guys, you guys are impressed with all this stuff. You guys are gonna be doing greater things than me. Now I just imagine their thought would be, what my first thought was when I read this was, Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> like you're out here healing people and you're raising dead people to life and you're casting out demons and Jesus goes, no, 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 listen. You guys are gonna launch my church. You guys are gonna launch my bride and the gates of hell are not gonna stand a chance when you guys are all on the same page. You guys are all empowered by my spirit, man. It's gonna be, it's gonna be breathtaking and it's gonna be powerful and you're gonna start to ask for the right things and my father's gonna begin to answer those things. And I just, I read this and it makes me excited because I think, man, church, man, it's time for us to begin to, to dream some really big kingdom-sized dreams together. And it's time for us to begin to put aside these puny little self-focused prayers that tend to dominate most of our prayer life, if we have a prayer life at all. It's time for us to put those away and to begin praying some really big and bold and kingdom-focused prayers together. Like church, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna just play church. I don't, I don't wanna just show up for this on Sunday morning and this be all it is that we do and all this all that we're about. I mean, I, I don't want to just play church. And so if, if you leave this morning with, with nothing else, please, please leave with this. And I'm going to put this on the screens because it's important. But if you leave with nothing else, I want you to leave understanding that God, listen, God has given you everything that you need to take your place in the story that he's writing in the world. He's given you everything, believer. He's given you everything that you will ever need to take your place in the story that he's writing. Now, last year, we, we launched in this, in this exact service what we call the Seven Big Dreams Initiative. And so I just wanna share a couple of updates, uh, cast a little bit of vision. We are, now, we are now one year into our five-year vision. And so I wanna celebrate a few milestones. And then I wanna invite you into whatever role it is that God may be calling you into and so I want you to think of these seven big dreams kind of as on-ramps. So if you're new here, or maybe you've been here for a while and you're thinking, man, I don't, okay, cool. I, great commission, great commandment, being a part of a movement, movement moves, like, okay, cool, cool. What is that? What is that? Practically, what does that mean for me? Where do I start? Think of these seven big dreams as on-ramps to the mission that God has for us at, as a church. And these all flow directly from the great commandment the Great Commission that are all meant to help us accomplish our primary mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. So the first big dream that we launched last year, number one, was to equip 100 families and how to disciple their kids at home. That's number one on the list on purpose, by the way. That's number one for a reason, because we understand and our conviction at New Life is that our homes and our families are our first mission field. So here, here's the deal, I've said this before, but if, if we win our city and our neighborhoods and our schools and the nations even, and we lose our children in the process, we have failed at our mission. And so last summer we had the first large group kind of parenting intensive that we've ever had called Intentional. Had well over 40 families, many of you were uh, probably there and we spent the day just 
equipping each other and how to disciple our kids at home. So if you were there, man, you not only left with some great resources, but you left having gone through some age-specific workshops and how to disciple your kids at home. Now, our next gen, our next generation staff is currently working with several families, equipping them and how to disciple their kids at home. We've got more things in the pipeline coming in the months ahead. But we are already at close to 50 families that have at least begun the process of learning how to disciple their children at home. So um, we're, we're upping that dream. We don't think a year in that 100 was, was enough. We dream too small on this one. And so we're changing that from 100 families to 150 families that we wanna equip and how to disciple their children at home by January 1, 2025. Because we know that, man, if we're gonna win our kids, if we're gonna win this generation for Jesus, listen, it, it starts at home with mom and dad. It starts at home with mom and dad. It doesn't matter how good our youth ministry program is. It doesn't matter how good our children's, our preschool. Man, it starts at home with moms and dads. Now, if you're a parent, grandparent, you say, man, I want some resources and I'd love to meet with somebody on our next gen uh, team, uh, reach out. Let, let, let us know. We'd be happy to hook you up with some resources or have somebody on our staff sit down with you, have coffee with you, and, and just kind of talk through a process for how to disciple your kids at home. Man, we, we want to partner with you as you make disciples at home and teach your kids how to love Jesus and treasure Jesus above everything else in this world. So that's dream number one. We're going from 100 families to 150 families that we want to equip um, to disciple our children at home. And then our second big dream last year was to launch 15 new small groups or community groups around the city of Asheville because we know that, man, life transformation, discipleship happens in small circles, not in long rows looking at the back of each other's heads, all right? Now, what we're doing right now, corporate worship is really important. Uh, we love it. It's actually commanded in Scripture. But, man, we, we, if we want to reach new people, we just understand we're going to have to start new groups in our city. And so, listen, for you, if you're not in a small group, you're not in a community group, maybe that's step number one for you in 2020, just to link up with another group of believers here at New Life, begin to do life with them. And I think, again, we, we, this is another one where we dreamed too small last year. Shame, shame on me, right? Dreamed, dreamed too small because in 2019, we launched seven new community groups around Asheville. And so we're recasting that dream. We're, we're bumping it up from 15 new groups to 25 new groups by January 1, 2025, meeting around our city. So for you, maybe that's a great on-ramp. You say, man, how do I... How do I link up with this mission or God and at New Life? This is a great on-ramp for you. All right, the third big dream that we talked about last year was the fact that we wanted to partner with at least three local schools to meet real needs because we actually believe that Jesus meant that we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. And partnering with local schools is just, man, it's such a natural way for us to do that. And so we've had a couple of partnerships for, for years now. Uh, Mark talked about Woodfin Elementary. We're also partnered with uh, New City Christian and uh, had great partnerships there for a long time. But I'm excited to let you guys know that our, that our Young Adults Ministry, which is, which is a really new ministry in and of itself, probably launched it about a year and a half ago or so, our Young Adults Ministry is making some really exciting plans and inroads to reach UNCA right down the road. And so, um, man, those, those plans are in place. Hopefully by this fall, we're gonna have some, some firm things in place there. 
Um, so the reality is we, we may need to recast uh, this dream next year. <laughs> it could be that, that three schools is, is not gonna be enough for us, but, but we'll see. But I'm super excited, man, about what God may do in and through this church family, specifically through our young adults, our college students, our young professionals, as we reach out and love uh, a secular college campus right down the road in the name of Jesus. And so that's, that's big, man. We're making big progress there. Our fourth big dream that we kind of cast last year was the fact that we want to partner with 10 church plants. And when we say uh, partner with church plants, that just means we're going in with other churches and other church planting organizations, and we're investing significant resources and our time to help these brand new kind of gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting churches to reach their cities and their communities. And so last year, we announced to you guys that we officially began a partnership with Haywood Community Church in, in Waynesville, so about 40, 45 minutes um, down the road. And so we've invested in that church plant financially. We're continuing to invest in them financially. We've sent some of our staff over there just to kind of help equip them and give them advice. And this new church plant, by the way, is, is already running over 100 people on Sunday morning uh, worship uh, attendance, which is incredible for a brand new church. So excited about what God is doing over in Waynesville. We're also in the process of um, connecting with a church planter who's gonna plant in Hendersonville, uh, looks like later this year. And so that has the potential to be our, our second church plant partnership. We're also putting together a North American church plant team uh, as we speak. And that group of people from New Life will be praying and identifying a brand new church plant somewhere in North America that we can partner with. And our hope and prayer is that we'll be able to roll that partnership out to you uh, this fall. And so um, if, you're, if you're good with math, if those all kind of work out, that leaves us with uh, seven more church plants to partner with by 2025. And so we realize uh, we, we have our work cut out for us, man. This is, this is a big dream, but we believe God is a, a big God, amen? He's a big God. And so uh, dream number five is that not only that will we partner with 10 church plants, but that would actually take the lead on three church plants. So you can kind of think of our church planting strategy as a 10 plus three, all right? Partner with 10, lead three new plants, um, now, this is, especially for a church our size, man, this, this is a God-sized dream. And when we say we're taking the lead on a church plant, that means we are taking primary responsibility for planting these three churches. And my hope and prayer is that at least one of these three churches over the next four years would, uh, that we take the lead on would happen right, right here in Western North Carolina. And so we're praying right now. I'd ask you to pray with us that God would bring us the right church planter and that God would even open up the right facility so that we can go and we can plant a gospel-centered church somewhere in Western North Carolina, which means, by the way, church, that for some of you over the course of the next two, three, or four years, it means that some of you could be a part of a launch team to go plant a church somewhere else in Western North Carolina. Like, how cool would that be to have like 20 people up here, 30 people up here from New Life, and we're just, we're just sending you guys out? to plant a brand new church, a gospel-centered church, a modern church in a location that doesn't have a gospel-centered modern church. That would be incredible. So Mike, our, our worship pastor, he's already, he's already working, he's already preparing, figuring out how we can have two bands so we can have two different worship services going on simultaneously. I'm thinking through a teaching rotation and what that would look like. And so I would just invite you to, to pray with us that God would give us that church planter and also that he would give us a location, that he would give us a facility so that we could plant a gospel-centered church somewhere else 
in Western North Carolina. So if you got some land or a big warehouse somewhere that you just don't know what to do with, let's talk. All right. Now, if you're, uh, if you're thinking, man, why, why all the focus on church planting? Like, what about some more focus on inside the four walls here? Why don't we spend more? Why don't we do more like right, right here? And I think that that's a fair question, but here, here, here's the answer. First of all, Jesus only promised us that the gates of hell would not prevail against one thing, and that's his church. For whatever reason, God chose to make his church the vehicle by which we would reach our neighborhoods, our schools, our city, and the nations with the gospel. Secondly, statistically, do you know the best way to reach new people in almost any context? The best way to reach new people in almost any culture. It's not new programs at existing churches. Statistically, the best way to reach new people is by planting brand new churches. Uh, leading missiologist Peter Wagner, he's got this quote we'll throw up on the screen, but this is a guy that studies the growth of Christianity all over the world, and this is, this is what he says. He says, planting churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven, which means, new life, that if we're gonna reach new people that are far from God, by the way, in Buncombe County alone, between 70 and 80% of people are unchurched in our county alone. So if we're gonna reach our county, if we're gonna reach our country, if we're gonna reach around the world, we have to be committed to planting new gospel-centered churches. So that's, that's a big dream, man. We wanna, we wanna lead out in, in three of those church plants, and that's gonna take all of us. It's gonna be a huge financial a challenge. It's gonna, be, uh, it's gonna take a lot of men hours from people here, our staff, you guys. Our, uh, our sixth big dream that we kind of laid out before you last year is that we wanted to un- engage in at least one unreached people group. And, and so I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, statistically there are about 3 billion people in the world that belong to about 6,000 people groups that currently have little to no access to the good news of the gospel. And I just want you to know, like, we're not okay with that. A new life. That, that, that's, that's not okay. And so last year, there was a team of four of us that went out on an exploration trip. We went out to the Middle East and uh, the Mediterranean, and we're in process of developing some great partnerships in some of the darkest, most unreached places left in the world. And listen, some of you guys are gonna have an opportunity to come with us to these places in 2020 and beyond. And so we're excited about that, man. We're, we're engaging, we're already engaging with unreached people groups that have no access or little access to the news of Jesus. And we're starting to see and hear some really cool things coming from these places. Um, just so you know, we have a card in the back, the little table by the sound booth. It's got all of our mission trips for 2020. You can also go to our website, click on the mission tab, and you can get info on our upcoming mission trips. But I, I just hope that you'll pray about it. Hope that you guys would pray and consider taking a short-term mission trip with us, whether it's locally here, somewhere in the United States, or uh, abroad somewhere in the world. And then our seventh big dream that we rolled out last year, and, and I, thought this was, I thought this was really big at the time, turned out not to be, but uh, was to invest half a million dollars over five years in missions, church planning, poverty alleviation, and trafficking initiative. Basically, all those things that are really close to the heart of God that we see both in the Old Testament and New Testament. We thought, man, let's, let's do half a million dollars um, over the course of the next, next five years. But the reality is, as we looked at the numbers at the end of last year, man, that, that dream was far too small. Um, just a couple of updates. Um, we, we launched a partnership last year with a ministry called Life 107. 
And that's a ministry that works in the prevention and help. Um, they help victims of human sex trafficking. And so we've hosted a couple events for them here. They came and talked to our, our youth ministry uh, just a couple of months ago. By God's grace, in October, we had the largest Ascend Missions offering uh, ever. So well over $200,000 that you guys uh, collectively sacrificed for the sake of taking the gospel. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So let, here, here's the deal. We're, we're on pace to hit this goal uh, by the end of this year. Um, so one year in, we're, we're hitting the, the five-year goal. And so uh, we, we dreamed far too small on this. And so we're just redreaming this. Met with our elders uh, last week or, or two weeks ago. And, and they said, man, let, go big or go home. And so uh, we're, we're jumping that from 500K to 1.5 million um, by January 1, 2025, that we just wanna invest outside of the four walls of this church to expand the kingdom of Jesus in Asheville and around the world. Listen, God, God is doing some really exciting things in and through this church family, like this gospel community we call New Life Community Church. And Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against us as we walk in this mission that he has given us. I just wanna invite you, wanna encourage you, if you're a member here, or you just consider this your church home, come out Wednesday night. So this Wednesday night, 6 p.m., right here, we're gonna have what we call a team member pie night. Uh, we're gonna celebrate these things in a little more detail, and uh, we're just gonna kind of enjoy each other's fellowship as a family. We're gonna pray that God would uh, use us in incredible ways going forward. Man, I'm so grateful, so grateful for what God has done in and through this church body for where he's brought us, but I'm that much more excited about where he's taking us. Listen, the, the best days for our church are ahead. I'm convinced of that. The best is yet to come. But here, here, here's the deal. This is what you've got to understand. Like, I, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And um, our, our team here, our leadership team, can't do this. Our elder team, as great as they are, our staff team, as talented as they are, we, we cannot do this alone. We cannot. This is gonna take every last one of us finding our place in the story that God is writing in the world. And so I, I got a big ask, right? I'm gonna ask you, if you're a part of our faith family, I got two things that I'm gonna ask you for in 2020. Now, if you're here, here as a guest, um, we don't want anything from you. You're just kind of getting a peek behind the, the curtain this morning. But if you belong to this faith family, if you consider this your, your home base, um, here, here's the next steps. Here's, here's the two big asks. Number one, I'm asking you to legitimately pray over these seven big dreams in 2020. Like everything that we just talked about, all seven of those dreams must be absolutely saturated and bathed in prayer. Now, I, just confession time, transparency time. One of my biggest faults as a, as a pastor, as a man, um, just as a human being, is, is I'm, I'm a doer, I love action. I wake up in the morning and I got that checklist of things I need to get done that day. I love strategy, I love this stuff that we're talking about, but far too often I am too impatient to do the one thing that matters most in God's kingdom and that's pray. And I'm just, I'm tired of living my life that way. And I, and I don't want us as a church to function that way. I do want us to be active and I do think that strategy is a gift from God and he expects us to be strategic in what we do. But man, we, we have to become a people of prayer. So here's, here's what I felt like God just impressed upon my heart this week. Um, I, I felt like he was saying to me that I, I need to give one, one day a week, most weeks it'll be Monday, 
But if it's not Monday, it'll be another day. But I'm gonna set aside one day a week just to pray and fast in 2020 over everything that God is calling us to do as a faith family. And so if any of you guys would, um, would wanna join me in that, man, I, I'd love that. Um, so, so for me, like, what that means is I'll, I'll eat dinner tonight and I'll wake up tomorrow, I, w- I will not eat breakfast, I won't eat lunch, and then I'll, I'll eat dinner tomorrow night. So it'll be, I'll kind of break my fast 24 hours in and every time I get hungry, that'll just be a reminder for me to pray. Like, God, God, use me, you, use us collectively in, in your mission to reach Asheville and reach the world with the good news of Jesus. And so, man, I would be delighted if you would join me in that. For some of you, if you can't do that with food, maybe you could fast from social media on Mondays and just say, hey man, every time I, I wanna get on Facebook or Insta or, or whatever it is, man, I'm gonna say no and I'm gonna use that time to pray and just beg God to use me in his kingdom and use us in his kingdom in amazing ways in, in 2020. And so, man, we just, we, we have to cover these things in prayer. Now, one, of, one of our elders shared this quote with me from, from Spurgeon that I just love. I'll throw this on the screens for you. But Spurgeon said, prayer Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. I love, man, that guy was a poet, man. I just love the way he talks. But what Spurgeon was saying is, man, there there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. God is moved by the prayers of his people. And so if we wanna see big dreams, if we wanna reach Asheville, if we wanna flip the world upside down like the early church in Acts did, man, we've got to become a people of prayer. I'm not talking about, hey, let me pray, God, help my big toe that hurt. Man, I'm talking about praying big, big, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered, globally-minded prayers for the kingdom of God. And so that's the first big ask. I'm just gonna ask, if you're part of our faith family, set aside intentionally some time every single week, whether you're fasting with me or you're doing it some other way, set aside some time specifically every week just to pray that God would work in and through this faith family. And the second thing I'm gonna ask you to commit to is not only to pray, but to play, to find your place. Play your part in the mission of Jesus. Play your part. If you don't know where, how to do that, come, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our elders or our pastor. We'll help you find that place. Now, many of you are already doing that. We thank God for that. But there are others of you here Man, you need to take that step. And for some of you, maybe that's becoming a follower of Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're in church and you're a religious person, you're a spiritual person, but you've never actually submitted your life to Jesus Christ. And you've never started a relationship with him. So 2020, maybe that's your first step. Maybe you need to be obedient to Jesus by being baptized this year. That's, that's just probably your next step for some of you in the room. For others of you, it's probably joining a community group. Just start doing life with other people the way the scripture's designed for us to. For others of you, man, you've been attending here for years and years and years. It's time to get off the fence and become a a church member, a team member here. For some of you, maybe it's time for you to begin to invest financially in the the mission here. For others of you, maybe it's going on a short-term mission trip with us. Man, I... I don't know what your next step is, but here's what I do know. It's gonna take all of us. It's gonna take all of us. And so church, let's pray together. Let's play together in 2020. Let's find your place for the glory of our King because he is worth it. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Jesus, this mission that you've given us to 
to make disciples by loving you with all we've got, by loving our neighbors as ourselves so that we might reach Asheville and the nations for your name's sake, God. This, this is a massive calling. This is a massive mission. It's a big dream, God. In our, our confession, my confession is that we, we cannot, we cannot, we will not ever do this without you, without your presence, without a move of your Holy Spirit, God. And so I just ask right now that you would begin to just light that little fire inside of all of us who call you Lord, God. Would you give us a passion? Would you give us the courage to take a step, whatever that step is into your mission this year, God. Not Help us not ever to be satisfied on the sidelines of our faith just as observers or spectators at an event, God. You have so much more for us, God. So would you, would you help us to understand, God, that you have given each of us a unique talent, a unique ability, a unique gifting to be used in your kingdom, God. So help us, help us to walk in that, help us to live in that like we never have before, God, for, for your fame and for your glory here in Asheville and to the ends of the earth. And we ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.